Hello, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music, and today on our podcast, episode 128, I'm going to be talking about using song study as an effective warm-up opportunity. Alan Henderson of the National Association of Teachers of Singing is sharing the latest research and resources about COVID and the Voices of COVID project. Vocologist Dr. Heather Nelson is talking all about restorative vocal exercises and our good friend Michelle Marquardt DeVoe is talking about creating a teaching studio business that you love and we are diving into finding your ideal clients voice pedagogy timely studio business strategies right here on the full voice podcast Hello and thank you, my friend, my voice teaching professional friend. Thank you for finding time to tune in to the episode. As always, my goal is lots and lots of teacher takeaways for you, for your students, for your uh, teaching studio. And I have a great lineup of guests today, great topics. And I just want to, uh, I just want to say hello. And I want to send virtual hugs out to everyone. I hope you're keeping well. I hope you're keeping safe. I know things are not business as usual. And I am always, always impressed with how everyone has transitioned and pivoted and is still able to serve their students and their communities. And I have to say, uh, I just started back into my teaching schedule and uh, I have a very small studio right now, uh, but I missed my students so much and it was so good to see them. And I, I'm, I love just connecting with them and this the last few months i have learned so many new things and new ways to get them singing and having fun in their lessons and full disclosure not everything works not every lesson is like amazing i do have some dud lessons where i i log off zoom and i and i just i'm not happy <laughs> <laughs> but those are learning opportunities as well. So I try to I try to take it all in stride. I try to look at what went well and what didn't and what I'm going to do different the next time. And I know that I have grown in my ability to uh, work with my students in a virtual manner. And I'd like to share some of those with you today. So whether you are working online or if you are teaching in person, I guarantee that there's lots of uh, takeaways here. So what I want to talk to you about is using song study as your vocal warm-up. And there's a lot of ways that we can do this. And there's a lot of benefits. And again, I'm going to share some of my Zoom victories with you. And I hope that you can take them into your virtual lessons. So first of all, song study, I did not make it up. It's a thing. It's been around for a while. I, in fact, I've had plenty of choral uh, in, uh, teachers in my uh, all through high school and elementary school that used song study as warm-up. So what is song study warm-up? Well, you can take any fragment, any lyric, any rhythm, any melody from your repertoire, your student's repertoire, isolate it, 
and use it as the warm-up part of your lesson. Now, it could be just warm-up part, or you can address specific technical studies with that melody uh, or with that rhythm or with that lyric. It's quite handy, and there's a lot of benefits to doing this. And uh, I just want to share a couple of different ways that I I, uh, do this with my students. Now, before I get started, I do want to just... I just want to put something out there. And this took me a long time to recognize because, you know, we have a a mindset thing of what is a warm up. And so, so there it is. I'm going to ask that question. What is a warm up? What is a vocal warm up? Now, I like to think big picture. And I think, I think I have to attribute this to Shannon Coates. Um, But really, any activity that gets your student in the room and ready to learn, that's, that's a good warm-up. So any activity that you can do that brings the student into the mindset, into their bodies, into a, um, a positive attitude, any activity that does that is a fantastic warm-up. So... I'm, I'm just going to go out here and just, I'm going off topic a little bit, but drawing, you know, you might have a student that's just not wanting to sing. Well, drawing a treble clef could be a warm up. Drawing a treble clef in the air with your whole arm is a warm up. You're getting them into their body. They're thinking about what a treble clef looks like. Really any activity that makes them smile, makes them breathe, makes them laugh, makes them think is a warm-up. And really, warm-up activities are endless. You, It only takes a teeny bit of creativity to, to spruce things up and to change things up. Now, that being said, I, too, have fallen into what I would call warm-up ruts, where I'm just doing the same thing because I just do not have the energy to come up with something else. I've been there. It happens. But if you start to see your singers glazed over, or if you're not hearing changes, if they're not, if not, you're making them do things, but it's not really changing anything, it might be time to shake up your your warm-up routine. Um, and one of the things that I did with my Zoom lessons that worked really well, uh, because it doubled as sound check, um, and because my, my kiddos, my students of all ages, including my adults, were just so stressed, I asked them, the warm-up became, let's sing a song that you are familiar with And we'll use that A as a warm-up and B as a sound check where we can check the levels of our call. So that became kind of a nice warm-up activity because it was a familiar song. You know, they could sing through the song. There was no pressure. It didn't have to be perfect. But I got to see how they were holding themselves in their bodies, where the tension was. Um, I got to see what kind of mood they were in and I got to fix my Zoom settings so it didn't uh, it didn't cut out their voices and vice versa. Maybe they needed to turn their music up. Maybe they needed to fix things. Maybe need, they needed to set up differently in the, in the studio, in their room to, for optimal lessons. So um, I changed up my warm-up. So that was not how I usually warm up my students, but it, it really started to work. And in asking them just to sing a song that they wanted to sing, I really got 
a bigger picture of where they were at. And bonus, bonus, win-win, I... Uh, I was introduced to some new wonderful music, artists that I had never heard of, songs that I would have never thought to uh, give my student as a as a study or as a as a performance piece, and it was a very insightful opportunity. Now, going back to song study, uh, song study, I have been really enjoying using this, and I, I have to say. I think I, I stole this idea from a choral Facebook group because the choral directors are all teaching online right now. Um, and the, the conversation came up, you know, what kind of online, um, what kind of online warmups were you doing with your choir? And um, uh, somebody who I don't know personally had mentioned about using song studies. So getting them to look at their music, identifying a, a, a phrase uh, or a rhythm or a verse or lyric, and then breaking that down into small fragments and then using that as the warm-up. Uh, and I thought that was brilliant. So I started to incorporate that into my Zoom lessons and it was so fun and it made the lesson far more productive. Uh, and it was a really good way because sometimes there's a big disconnect with our students. Remember that old curse of knowledge, it is always there. The longer you have been teaching, the longer you have been a singer, the more things, the more challenging it is for us to remember what it's like to be the beginner. And uh, with with the curse of knowledge, we forget sometimes that our students need more repetition, that it takes our students longer to learn a phrase, that they do not know what the the why we're doing these straw exercises or why the lip trills are so fantastic. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty, it's not something that's common knowledge for them. So in taking a fragment from their song, we're kind of connecting the dots a little bit. If we take this piece and we work on this, now can you sing this phrase with a big crescendo? Awesome. Now can you sing this phrase with a big crescendo and then a decrescendo? And then we talk about it. Not only are we isolating pieces of the song, we are applying corrections or modifications in their repertoire. And I want to, I want to, I'm, I'm laughing because I have a couple of students and I know that you deal with this. You know that student, no matter what instruction they give you or you give them, they don't really change anything you know, and you, you like the your vowel modification is always a challenge, right? But if you you'd ask them to round it out and they sing it and it's the same. And it's, you know those students, right? You, I know you have them. You were pro I was probably one of those students. Um, I find that using song study sometimes can help those students. It, it, sometimes it's easier when you're singing a line or a phrase from a song uh, that they, they, have, uh, they have a better chance of actually making a, a correction um, rather than just on a vowel sound. And again, that's another way that you can use song study. You can have them sing a phrase to a vowel and then put the text in and then try the same line with dynamics. It 
there's just so many ways that you can do that. Now, with all of my singers, if they're singing through a song, um, and if you listen to the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, Shannon Coates talked about a very important thing, which is talking less and letting your students sing more. I have been so, so mindful of that. So I find if I'm doing song study and I'm taking a fragment, I don't have to play it again for them. So I might have to sing it once or play it once, but then we have that melody and then we can kind of workshop it. And I don't have to over explain and I don't have to go into a long story. And my corrections are simple and I'm finding that my students are far more effective at making the modifications that I'm looking for than if I had just taken a typical arpeggio or triad or whatever that I usually do in a warm-up. So with, with your repertoire, taking sections of your repertoire, um, looking at the score, marking the score as they're working on the phrase, the other benefit, of course, obviously, is that when they go to sing it, they will have much more confidence in singing through the song because you've isolated some of the problem spots. That's one of the challenges that I face uh, in with my small group vocal class. My small group vocal class, I adore them. They call it singing club. We have so much fun. Um, they are uh, they are experienced singers. They've been with me for a couple of years. But when they are learning a new song, especially on Zoom, nobody wants to sing very loud. So I find if I can take a line and we have some fun with it, we play some games with it. Uh, if I see that they're really confident, I might ask them to take turns each turn singing on their own. That's what I don't I challenge them like that. When I do that in my in my small group class my on Zoom, I find that it is far more productive in getting through a song and learning the song and the melodies and the elements of the song if I use that more as a warm-up rather than other activities. So I've got an amazing show and I've got amazing guests. I'm going to leave it there. I hope that you'll have some thoughts and perhaps some inspiration to look towards the repertoire that you are already using and singing in your studios as the technical study or the vocal warm-up in your studio. It's effective. You can make it as fun and silly and crazy as you need to. And uh, it really does help tie together a comprehensive lesson. And it is effective for students that sometimes struggle with making changes and modifications when instructed. There. I said that. It's done. The Full Voice Podcast is part of the Nats Cast Network, and we are thrilled to partner with the National Association of Teachers of Singing to share upcoming opportunities and resources. Joining me today on the podcast is Executive Director Alan Henderson. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast. Alan Henderson, how are you? I'm great. How are you? 
Well, we're doing good. Thanks for asking. I'm excited. A new podcast season. And thank you so much for for being one of our returning experts. It's a pleasure. Now, you are going to keep all of us uh, up to date with what's happening with the National Association of Teachers of Singing. And uh, there's a lot going on. Um, But today, I would love to talk to you about the new project, um, the Voices of COVID-19 project. Can you fill everybody in on what's going on there? Well, sure. It's a really intriguing project that kind of landed in my lap. I was contacted last March uh, just as things started shutting down by Tim Bostwick and asking to interview me for his project. He he was interested in interviewing people in our industry uh, during COVID. And he got this idea right at the time when things were starting to shut down. He began contacting a whole host of people, uh, singers, arts managers, uh, organizational people like me, uh, performers, teachers, and he had a great idea just to interview them about what they were going through, what they were experiencing during this time. And he interviewed me and uh, we had a great interview and nice conversation. And uh, we finished the interview and I said, so Tim, what are you gonna do with all this? And he says, well, I'm just kind of collecting it. I'm not really sure what I want to do with it. So I thought about it for about 24 hours and I said, (laughs) I need to get back in touch with Tim because (laughs) if he doesn't know what he's going to do with it, I think Nats would be a great place to, um, to volunteer to host this project and work with him on it uh, and make it, you know, truly a really great opportunity to, share the stories of people and our industry during this time. So uh, we began talking and and he was, uh, Tim's an ATS member, so uh, that was a natural connection as well. And we began working on this project. And so Tim has interviewed to date over a hundred individuals within our industry. Um, he's talked with some very high profile singers artist managers. And so we began transcribing these uh, interviews. He also, uh, of course, collected, uh, you know, some photos to go along with this. He uh, also audio recorded all of the uh, interviews. So in certain segments of the transcribed interview, people who go to the project will find Uh, some audio clips so that they can actually hear the voice of the person being interviewed, answering at least a few of the questions that are transcribed there. And then, and then it also includes some links provided by the interviewee of if they're a performer or some of their performing or some other associated material with uh, if they're an artist manager, it might go to their artist management website uh, or some other project they've been associated with during this time. And he's also interviewed groups like the Artist Relief Tree Project uh, group. Mm. So most of it's individuals, but there are a few of those unique kind of interviews as well with some of the leading uh, projects and and important things that have gone on during this time. So uh, we started thinking about how to name it. And one of the things that 
came to mind to Tim was Leonard Bernstein's uh, statement uh, in the 60s. Uh, this will be our response to violence, to make music more intensely, more beautifully, mm. more devotedly than ever before. And with each note, we will honor his spirit, commemorate his courage, and reaffirm his faith in the triumph of the mind. And this was in 1963, his statement after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Um, mm. And so this resonated with Tim as kind of a centerpiece of why he wanted to put this project together. So thence came the name of this project. This will be our response, Voices of COVID-19. And so uh, you can go to the Nats website uh, and under the programs tab, you'll find Voices of COVID-19. And we uh, started out the first few weeks introducing four interviews each week. And now we've moved to, I think, two each week. And Wonderful. so this will be an ongoing archive. Each week we add two, usually on Tuesdays, so that we can include them in our uh, weekly intermezzo email that we send out. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, we share that on social media as well. So there are some, so far, uh, you know, on this project, there are some, there are interviews with Jake Heggie, um, Lizette Oropesa, Laura Strickling, Alex Fletcher, artist manager, Michael Eagle, uh, who runs Des Moines Metro Opera, Janae Bridges, uh, Lakita Mitchell just had an interview that came out this week. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then there's also, as I said, one with Artist Relief Tree that's out. Also another one with uh, a couple of doctors who are associated with uh, a psychologist who works a lot with performers. And so I, I think it's going to be a really just eclectic and wonderful group of interviews. And I think one of the uh, interesting things that's just coming up is that uh, some people are saying, well, it will, it will be really nice to interview these same people next March or April or oh, May. Oh, that's a great idea. And see. And so the wheels are turning in Tim's mind about possibly, you know, a check-in interview that we can supplement to some of the interviews at a later date. Wonderful. Well, thank you for letting us know about that project. Now, I wanted to also ask you about, uh, Nats has done some incredible webinars uh, about COVID, about uh, how teachers are managing and, and the best up-to-date advice as possible. Uh, can you can you let everybody know what's uh, what they can expect from Nats in, in regards to uh, the pandemic and how it has an impact on our studios and on our schools? Well, we're trying to stay abreast of both the latest research that's happening around the country and, and around the world related to particularly singing in COVID, but just COVID aerosols in general, since that is so connected to what we do and what the research is happening and the data that is coming out about how the virus is spread. So uh, we're we're doing our best with our within our network to stay abreast of that. We're involved in, uh, actively in two of the research projects that are happening, the one at the University of Colorado in Maryland, and then one that's happening right now at Colorado State University. And so we're 
staying abreast in that way is too by being actively uh, involved in those. I'm serving on the uh, advisory board for the Colorado State Study. And so we're, that's the first thing we're trying to do is, is, is try to stay abreast and also then bring relevant experts to the table that can speak to our profession specifically about mm -hmm. the data and what it means and how it can impact us individually or organizationally if we're running a studio or if we're in higher education, wherever, you know, the larger organizations are in public schools or private schools. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just had a webinar on interpreting some preliminary results from the yes. Colorado study, which recently came out. So we had one of the lead scientists on that the other day, uh, kind of explaining things about the singing specific aspects of that data. And I think that was well attended and appreciated. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also had a, a Nats chat uh, with Kari Reagan, with some folks who are teachers, performers who have had COVID. We had a, a speech pathologist, a voice teacher, and a Broadway performer who also teaches voice on a panel along with a, a laryngologist. And the, the three previous ones had had COVID. So we were talking about their experiences, how they were working on their way back to singing or maybe fully recovered. And it's very interesting, of course, that it presents itself differently in everyone. And each of those three experiences were uniquely uh, different in, in somewhat surprising ways, actually, for, for them. And so that will inform us all as we probably, the likelihood of us having a student come in our door who may have had COVID might increase over time. And so mm -hmm. we're going to continue. It's still a little early, I think, in what we know about the results of how COVID impacts singers in a greater number. Uh, but we're also beginning a survey project with Wendy LeBourne on that will reach out specifically to those in the performing arts who have had COVID and will be a just an anonymous survey about mm -hmm. how, the, how it presented itself to them individually and how it's impacted them. So we hope to have some data on that as well. So we'll continue to you know, bring programming to our community uh, as quickly as we can when something new is on the horizon or something relevant that's impacting us. Uh, this project since March has been quite important to all of us to be able to, mm -hmm. and it's also changed the way I think Nats works in a little bit uh, in several ways, one being the ability to more quickly respond. You know, we have a journal and it's months in production. We have other course. activities and programs that take months to put together. And some of these we've had to, you know, put together in a few days. And right. that's been a, a new and different kind of process for us, but one that's been rewarding and one that's mm -hmm. uh, been impactful. Wonderful. 
Well, I appreciate all of the efforts from all of our uh, colleagues who are working behind the scenes in Nats. Now, if somebody has missed or is interested in seeing these presentations, where's the easiest place for them to find them? There are two places during times of COVID, I would, I would say. One is our COVID resources page, which mm-hmm. if you just go to www.nats.org, uh, there is a, a big banner picture that comes across with a COVID banner. It's in rotation, okay. but you can, it, just wait a second. If it's not the first thing that comes up, you click right there and <laughs> okay. it goes to the COVID resources page. The other place is our Nats chats page uh, on the Nats site and well, uh, you can find that i will be sure to put links to these resources on the show notes alan i want to thank you for your time as always for keeping everyone informed and letting everybody know how hard nats is working uh for our our industry for our community and uh, we will see you uh, well we won't see you but we will hear from you again on the podcast great thank you so much nikki address the tired, overused voices in your studio. What do you do if your voice is the one that's tired and overused? Do you cancel lessons? Do you offer a no singing lesson focusing on resting the voice? Or do you alter your approach? Our good friend, vocologist, Dr. Heather Nelson, returns to the podcast to share some insight on restorative vocal exercises. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Heather Nelson. Heather, how are you? I'm doing very well today. It's always a pleasure to be back with you. Oh, I can't. I thank you so much for your time and your expertise. You have a wonderful way of explaining all things singing. And uh, today I wanted to talk to you about something that that is, I think, a common occurrence in our industry, and that is tired voices. So uh, I would love for you to help us with some restorative exercises for when our voices just have been working a bit too hard. Sure. Um, I will tell you, unfortunately, no one has identified yet a silver bullet that will be the (laughs) exercise to end all exercises for all of time, that if we do this one thing, then our voice will be amazingly restored and we can just (laughs) forge on ahead. Unfortunately, that is not the case. (laughs) And so I will that. Thank you for that that disclaimer. I do appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I, I mean, if I could come up with that thing, I, I would be able to retire tomorrow because everybody right? would love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are there are a few things that we can do to encourage our voices to um, to recover a little more quickly. Um, and then some things to just care for our voices um, before we get to the point that um, that we feel like we're just drained. Um, you know, the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so if we can build into our days times for vocal naps where we're not using our voice and we allow mm-hmm. um, the voice to kind of calm down a little bit, um, those are that's a good thing to do. 
So most of us are probably aware of SOVTs, the semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. Mm -hmm. These are my go-to, and I work with um, uh, clients who are recovering from surgery or who have injury, and um, there are various SOVTs that I use with those kinds of clients because they're gentle. They help to get a good closure on the vocal folds, and um, they really can help to strengthen the voice, too, without being overtaxing. My favorite one is using a straw, but using it in just a little bit of water, sticking a little bit of water at the bottom of a mm-hmm. cup, and then sticking the straw in and breathing breathing out, and then singing. So humming or singing a tune um, through the straw into the water. Uh, The straw, of course, creates a backflow in the vocal folds, and that helps to just kind of relax and and calm those muscles down. The water adds a little bit of extra resistance, and so that Mm. increases the effect, and um, I I love it. That's one of my favorite things to do. If you don't have a cup of water handy, but you do have a straw, you can... um, slightly pinch the end of the straw just to make it, make it a smaller, um, uh, closure. And that'll, that'll basically do the same thing. But I mean, let's be honest, we all love to blow bubbles into, into cups of water. It's just real fun. So, so as long as you, it's not too full, so you're splashing it out or splashing it in your face. It's a way to, um, you know, bring out your inner child a little bit and do the, do the thing that your mom told you not to do when you were a kid (laughs) and, and make your voice feel better at the same time. Now, how long would you ask your clients to to just blow through the straw into the cup? Uh, I would usually ask them to start off by by just blowing and, and do that for about 30 seconds or so. That helps you just get that get that sense of good airflow um, mm-hmm. when you're when you're do, using the the water um, with the with the bubbles, you're looking for um, a consistent uh, bubbleage. <laughs> uh, so you've got a consistent size and, and rate of bubbles without lots of stops and starts and, and gaps mm. and stuff. And so we're looking for good consistent airflow. And then um, and then I would after about thirty seconds or so, once the airflow feels pretty good and is going at a pretty good rate, then we just start gently bringing the the vocal folds together and and hum for a few seconds. And you can kind of go back and forth, breathing and humming and breathing and humming. That's also a really good onset exercise if you've got someone mm. who is not having um, or tends to have too hard of onsets. That can be really oh, great nice. for um, practicing those gentle, balanced onsets, um, and then do that do that a few times, and then uh, just hum hum through like a verse of a song or something like that, nice. so that you're doing that. You don't want to do it too terribly long, uh, unless it just feels really, really good. Um, mm. If your voice likes it, then then that's totally fine. M- me personally, I tend to, after a few minutes, tend to start to feel tense around my, my um, embouchure because of holding mm. the straw. And so oh, I cool. want to avoid getting tension in my face and around my mouth. Um, but even if it, you know, has a good benefit for my voice, it might bring intention other other places. So that's one thing that you can do. Um, you also think about um, a, a cool down. Uh, we often do warm ups. Vocal cool downs mm-hmm. are also really really helpful. And there's good science behind cool downs uh, that we get from exercise physiology. Um, 
in our vocal folds, we are, they have the, the layers of extracellular material and fluid that are in there that really kind of cushion the blows of all of those impacts in the vocal folds. Um, that, that extracellular material and the muscles can break down over time because of the, the um, impacts that we're putting them through. And so we have these little, little things called astrocytes that um, move into the, the tissues, into the structure. And um, like Bob the Builder, those are the Bob the Builder cells. They go in <laughs> and, and rebuild the things that were broken down. And so when we have a cool down, there's good science that suggests those astrocytes get into the tissue faster. And so oh. that can help you feel, um, you know, a little more restored quick, a uh, little more quicker. And so doing things like slides, I like to think about cool downs as warmups in reverse. So nice. with warmups, you generally start with the less, uh, less complex exercises and move to more complex exercises and cool downs are just the opposite. You know, you maybe start with some scales and then go to slides and then just to humming or SOVTs and then, you know, as you're, as you're finishing. So Making the habit of ending your teaching day with a cool down or even doing a cool down maybe before you take your lunch break um, can help the voice to get restored more quickly. Um, Great advice. Now that's that's a habit that we we do have to build, but it's also <laughs> very good modeling for our students. We want our students to um, to take care of their voices, and so we can preach all day long, but we also mm. must model. And so I really encourage you to do that. Um, another thing to do, I think, um, is to plan ahead of time and develop some silent lessons that you can teach where you are oh, not using your great voice. Great advice. Yes. And you don't have to wait until you're sick to use your silent lessons. You know, use them um, on occasion. Just, just hey, I'm going to teach a silent lesson to this, you know, to this particular student uh, on this day. Maybe my voice is a little tired. Or I would like my student to learn how to be the leader in a lesson. And so we are, um, we get to not use our voices, but we get to give our students a little more autonomy and, um, and let them be uh, the leader in, in a voice lesson that can mm. Brilliant. be an educational um, benefit to them as well. But if we already have those silent lessons as a part of kind of our our toolbox, then if we happen to be sick, it's not so stressful for us because we already know what to do. And um, uh, our students won't be weirded out because they've already been through this. They, they know mm -hmm. what to expect. And um, it's a way that we can still teach, um, still preserve our voices and, and take kind of a little vocal break, whether you're sick or you're not. Rest mm -hmm. is, your, is going to be your best friend. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. Again, Heather, you bring in great information. I love your passion for all things singing. We're going to put links on the show notes to all of to your website and to all of your socials. And of course, you are a returning expert and we will hear from you again soon. Excellent. Thank you. If you were to look at your studio roster right now, how many of those students do you absolutely adore working with? Okay, now, how many of those students are, they're okay, but maybe they're not your cup of tea. And be honest, 
because we've all had them. How many of those students would you like to just magically disappear? <laughs> Today, we're continuing the mini series about starting and running a studio business that you absolutely love. Our special guest is voice teacher and business expert Michelle Marquardt DeVoe. And today, we are talking all about finding your ideal clients. Welcome back to the podcast. And before we get started, before we get started, I have something for you. Are you ready? You have something for me? I do. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Michelle, my good friend and business maven and awesome person who helps so many people. Happy birthday to you. It's Michelle's birthday today. <laughs> Being serenaded by the Nikki Loney. <laughs> I I can't thank you enough for being here, especially on a special day and sharing your your awesome knowledge with all of us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's a good birthday present for me because I I get that sick pleasure of helping people. <laughs> Selfish altruism, right? Oh, nice. Podcast on my birthday because it makes me feel happy. <laughs> well, there we go. I, that's a good t-shirt. Uh, today, we have a very important topic and we are continuing our conversation uh, about starting our own business and really building a business that we love. And today we're talking about ideal clients. Yay. <laughs> you, you, okay, nobody can see Michelle, but she has this glorious, evil, happy smile on her face. This is a subject you like to talk about. I do. I, I love to talk about it because I feel like at least in the voice world, it's a, a best kept secret kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, every business has to go through this. Right. You ever do any professional branding, any professional web design, any professional um, work with someone who's a pricing specialist, a business coach like myself, like no matter, businesses need to know their ideal clients. And it's something that kind of escapes the, the music world and the voice teaching world. So I always feel like it's a best kept secret. Uh, how much like shenanigans and junk it brings up for people though. Well, oh yes, I would, I would absolutely say that. And, and I know that if I look back at when I first started teaching, it was the, I, I'm going to teach as many people as I can and I'll take all ages, which I did, but also my life was very miserable and I hated teaching. <laughs> so I, I like, I literally have a name for this. Oh, <laughs> the name for this is warm body syndrome, warm body syndrome. Ow. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Which I mean is when you just take, <laughs> thank God you're a warm body and you'll give me money. You know, I think you call them mortgage clients. Oh yes. More. That is the term. The people that are just helping me get to the end of the month. Right. Well, the goal is that we would not have a studio full of mortgage clients. And I think it's, there's a lot of mindset. There's a lot of um, systemic belief around what it means to be an independent studio owner. There's a narrative that has been taught us 
uh, because mm-hmm. of current systems of what's appropriate and what's not, and the the own schooling, the own own formal pipelines that we go all through. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that we go through these formal pipelines of training in order to be excellent technicians, yes. be able to really teach voice, be able to know the instrument and pass on that information. And currently, we now also have pedagogy degrees where you're actually learning how to teach. It's not just like you and I both have performance yep. had to take a semester of pedagogy, which was who paid attention to that? <laughs> no, it's true. When I was in college, when I was in college, if you told me that I was going to be a voice teacher and I would love every second of it, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, you've heard this story before, but you know, it's funny because I remember I had to get a vocal performance degree. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a vocal pedagogy degree at the time. And the pedagogy classes were just so sorely lacking <laughs> in 1995 at the school that I was at. Um, but, you know, we know better now. Anyway, all of that to say that pipeline, there is never any conversation around business. Right. Never. So if you're not already kind of immersed in that because of maybe like your family or your friends or your story, someone tells you ideal client and you're like, what? yeah, it also brings up huge scarcity. Oh, yeah. We don't start businesses as businesses. And since this particular podcast series, I know we're focusing on the starting of the businesses rather than kind of the higher level business stuff. But I'm going to, I'm going to say, it's like, you got to have some idea of who you want to serve. In the beginning, warm body syndrome is a useful tool, right? And you kind of put your put your shingle up and say, I'm doing this thing, come one, come all. And it's a useful tool for you to figure out who really do you enjoy working with? What are their personality traits? What are their motivations? I call this psychographics. Mm-hmm. Do I prefer working with younger people, middle people? avocational adults, professional adults, older people. Do I want my kids that I teach to be from uh, two parent homes? Do I want that family income to be a certain number? Right. And all of these points are important because they're going to give you information about how you can serve, who you can serve, and why you would serve them. Right. I think, you know, a lot of singers turned voice teachers specifically, it starts out, there's so much mindset junk around being wanted. Mm. You know, our entire vocal performance career, it's, please let me get into this program. Please audition for the show and let me get this role. Please let me get this gig. It, it's all begging for a place, begging to be accepted, begging to have someone say yes to you. Right. And then you get to a point where you're in charge of the business and those neural pathways are ingrained. Mm-hmm. Start teaching and you know your potential students come in and you just click into that mental pattern of you please say yes to me. 
instead of this is what I do. I'm going to say yes to you (laughs) or not. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's sneaky. We can go on and on and on and in how this relates. And that's why we start with ideal client, because it will literally affect every part of your business. It's huge. So the first step in this ideal client journey is releasing the belief that you have to be able to teach everyone in order to teach anyone. That's that's hard. When you, when you talk to a lot of teachers, the first thing they say is, oh, I teach all ages and all styles. Or you go to their website and it's just this blanket statement of, I teach everybody. And, and the thing is, is that you don't. That's a lie. Like it's inherently a lie. Right. Because you, if your primary revenue stream, which I'm, if we're starting a business, I'm assuming that most people here are starting a business with a primary revenue stream of one-on-one services. As soon as someone says, I want to teach independent voice, that's what they're thinking. Thinking, I'm going to start an empire of group training, singing training programs, like right from the get-go. Sure. (laughs) You can get there. Totally cool. But usually we're starting out with this independent one-on-one services thing. And the reality is you don't have enough hours in the day to do it. That's true. You're literally lying, number one. Number two, you don't have that kind of knowledge and skill set. Oh, ow. People are feeling, feeling that right now. Can you say that again? You don't have that knowledge and that skill set to teach every single person, every single genre. And that's okay. And and that's okay. Exactly. You're not supposed to have that. Like, so that's a whole other thing. Like, who sold you a bill of goods that told you you <laughs> to be good at everything and you bought into it and now you're spinning your wheels oh. and full of imposter syndrome because you don't know every single thing about every single thing about every single thing? Hmm. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to own that narrative. I don't need to be good at everything. I need to be damn good at the things I'm damn good at. And that's what I need to sell. Oh, Michelle, you always, you always lay it out for people. And I love that. I love that. And, and I just want to say, I just want to say, you gave me goosebumps, first of all, because like, those are the hard truths that a lot, a lot of us are still dealing with, like imposter syndrome. I've been teaching for, it'll be 30 something years. I'm not even going to define it. And I, it still creeps in. It still creeps in. I'll get an inquiry and I'll think, well, yeah, I could probably. And then I realize, no, this person isn't, I, I know somebody that can help them better than I can. But it, there's still that moment where my brain's like, oh, no, no, you should, you should help this person or you, you really need this. And it, and I don't. Student hoarding. Student hoarding. Ooh, that's a thing. Oh no. Well, because it, I mean, here we go. Right. I, this is why I start with ideal client and all of my programs, because you open this box and you're getting into dealing with the mindset of the business owner, the money mindset. We're doing money mindset this month in speakeasy cooperative and uh you're dealing with a scarcity mindset you open up the box pandora's box (laughs) (laughs) to to talk about all these other things so i hear you but the student hoarding comes from this like deeply ingrained myth that more means better Mm. i mean that's like western 
thought in general. And really it's an extension of greed Mm. and the greed is there because the lack is there. So what's so interesting is that greed usually starts out from a place of scarcity. Mm -hmm. I need more. I need more than I need. And because there's always that fear of less, there's always that fear of not being taken care of, not having enough money, not having enough students. It's the scarcity that drives the greed. You'll never be satisfied. You can have all the money in the world, all the power in the world, all the everything in the world, and you will never be satisfied because your baseline thought is, I don't have enough. I could lose everything. I won't be taken care of. Wow. And that stems from not being in control. Mm. And that's what it feels like when you don't have an ideal client. I'm not in control of who I teach. I am beholden to whoever shows up at my door, stuck in this place of having to take people. Is it possible? Is it possible to have several different varying ideal clients? Like, is that, do you recommend that? Like, I like working with little kids, but I also like working with seniors. Yeah. So I love this question because I do get it a lot. And I'm going to say the question itself shows that we're not understanding what ideal client is for. Mm. Here's the deal. Your ideal client is not there for you to draw this huge line in the sand. I will not work with you. Um, What the point of the ideal client is is to give you a starting place in how you're going to market, how you're going to create offers, how you're going to deal with money. So value, like what you're going to price things at, how many different levels of money offers you're going to have, how you're going to write your policies and how you're going to show up in your business. So your ideal client is there because you're not going to have a business unless you know how to find the people that you can serve best and help best. Mm. The more information you have about this person that you're going to serve, the more you can speak to them and show them that you understand what their pain points are, meaning what are the problems they want to solve, understand what their dream points are, what they want to achieve, And understand how you are the solution to get them from this place of point A, having dreams and pains into a transformative experience where they have the results that they're looking for. And if you think about it that way, and now we revisit kind of what you said earlier about like all genres, all people, if I go to your website or any other marketing thing that you do and Your website tells me that you can teach everybody everything, but I am looking for something specific. I will leave your website. And the other thing that's so fascinating to me is that there's an inherent distrust for people who say they can do it all. The the market is too smart for that. Mm. Everybody knows nobody can do everything. Or they know you can do it all, but you're pretty mediocre at all of it. Ouch. You know what I mean? I do. So um, we use this ideal client avatar and this ideal client, that's just a word, you know, an avatar is like the, the person that you make up that is represents the, the ideal client that you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. We use it 
in order to clarify all the other things in our business. So that being said, back to your question is, well, can I have more than one? I mean, you could try, but that's going to make it real hard to write copy. It's true. Because now you're trying to talk to like 10 different people or three different people. So where I would challenge people with this is that you're looking at the wrong things. If you, if you say to me, well, I have three different kinds of ideal client, then that means you just haven't done enough work on your ideal client and that you're probably focusing too much on demographic instead of, like I previously said, psychographics, and then I like to call them behavior graphics. So like how people engage with your service, because, um, for example, like I, I teach many different ages, right. And many different genres. I don't teach them all. Yes. And there are certain qualities, personality traits, um, mindset things that all of those people have. So for example, I don't work well with people who don't care about things, (laughs) right? Sure. Driven, highly core values oriented, passionate about what they believe, even my little 10-year-old student right now, you know, when she gets on the Zoom and she just fires off on like some injustice, <laughs> hungry to learn, people who are goal-driven, even if it's not a big, even if they're just like, I would like to be able to sing three, these three songs in six months. They don't have to be professional. Right. But that there's some sort of like, I know that I need to become this other thing. I know that I want my personhood to change in addition to my voice. So when people come and they're like, oh, yeah, I just want to work on my voice. And then I ask some strategic questions about like their mindset and stuff. And they like shut down. I'm like, Mm. you're not ready to you can't work with me because the voice is inherently a mindset thing for me. Mm. It's listic. So like if you want to try to do do you see what I'm saying? Like I do. I do. I'm trying to give examples of like what psychographics are and how they're different and how a six year old and a 10 year old can fall into that ideal client profile. And that gives me a lot of information to write any copy or the questions that I use in my intake form or the language that I use in my sales calls with them. Mm-hmm. Every single voice teacher has a sales call. Oh, every single one. You're already doing it. Like an ele- like an elevator pitch, you mean? Yeah. Or like a time where you're talking to a potential client and selling a service. Right. Every single person does it, whether you're doing it intentionally or not. Mm-hmm. That's another that's another question. But how are you going to craft that language in that sales call, in that 20-minute phone call, in that 30-minute lesson, in that 90-minute initial fit? That that first lesson is your sales call. Right. So how intentional are you about setting that up to find out if this person's really going to be the right fit for you? Mm. There's so much here. There's so much here. I hope now for somebody who is, uh, whether they're just getting started out or whether they realize that they are unhappy with the clientele in their studio. And that happens. And I want to, I just want to say that I've uh, like the studio has been cyclical for me. I've, I've taught in different locations. I've taught, 
uh, you know, and, and I've had it where like all my teens get to an age and then they all go away to university. And then my studio is now all my young ones again. Like there's, there's always cyclical. So let's say somebody's either getting started out, they realize they have warm body syndrome right now or mortgage students, and they're really looking at honing and, and starting to identify who they really want to work with, what would you, what would you give them as an, as a, the first exercise to do? A huge questionnaire. Okay. And I know that sounds overwhelming, but I'm just being straight with you because here's, mm-hmm. here's the thing, Nikki, owning a business is work. It's hard. It's hard. Thinks lots of things. So I say, start with your demographics, no age, gender identity, race, ethnicity, marital status, family income, where they live, occupations, what kind of car they drive, that kind of stuff. Then dig into the behavior graphics. Literally, what do they do? Like, do they use their cell phone all the time? Are they on the computer all the time? What is their job? Um, are they athletic? Do they, are, you know, do they like being outside? Do they like mm-hmm. practice all the time? Or are they occasional practicers? Um, do they take a long time in making a decision? Or are they fast buyers? Are they spontaneous buyers? Do they like last minute opportunity? So are they spontaneous in nature? Would they be more excited about like doing a spontaneous pop-up workshop than they would about like having a set day every week? Are they a flex, are they flexible and adaptable or are they more, um, I don't want to say rigid. Cause I don't think, I think rigid has kind of a bad connotation, but are they more like, um, no, I know what you mean. Boxed in plant planning. Mm-hmm. Do they hang out at comic con? <laughs> oh, I would like those people. <laughs> I mean, are they like vegan donuts or are they like nachos and margaritas? Right. Mm-hmm. Then moving on to psychographics. Personality characteristics, lifestyles, lifestyle choices in addition to lifestyles. Where do they see themselves as fitting into social class? Mm. Where do, what are their attitudes? What are their principles, their beliefs, their core values? What are their interests? What are their motivations? Why do they do this? Why would they even bother? Right? Mm-hmm. A good example of this would be, I get a lot of teachers who, who say, well, I'm t- um, I don't want to work with dabblers. They don't ever want to do this professionally. There's not a real, they're just curious. They just want to learn. They're a learner. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to, you got to know that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you have to know if you are good at working with people like that, or if that's something that's not interesting to you. But mm. if you say all genres, all people, and then you keep on getting pissed off that you get dabblers, what do you think is going to happen? You told them, you told them what you did. <laughs> they said, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's a good reminder. I just, those are just certain things that you can look at to start, but I'll tell you when you really do this work, it's, I mean, you've done this work, Nikki, right? Like it's question upon question upon question. It, you are right. And I, I want, I'm, whenever I talk to you, I always, I always do go time traveling through my career as a teacher and and when I was most happy and when I was not most happy and how how my studio changed um you know from 
from a certain uh, demographic and a certain student. And now, I mean, I my studio is very small because we're busy with full voice, but I have to say that I know who I connect with. I know which families I connect with. But that came from a lot of trial and error, a lot of mortgage students. There were times where I wasn't in I wasn't in charge of how students were assigned to me and and that that but but that was great learning opportunities because I wouldn't have known that those people weren't for me or for my studio had I not experienced working with them. So like you said, it's, it's there's great learning in having a wide variety of students. But as you go on, you start to really identify with who you work with. And I think speaking to my my listeners who are working with families, like that connection has to be with the parents too. So if there is a, like, I, I love my families. I don't just love my students. I love my families, but there was a time when I did not. And that, that impacted everything. It's true. When, when I, in how to run um, both the self-guided and the live program, I'm very clear. Like if you work with children, your ideal client is the pairing. Yes. The guardians and the child, whoever. Absolutely. The, the parenting role in that, in that family system. Yeah. You can't. So, you know, like when you see on the forums and stuff and people are like, oh, but I love this kid, but the mom or whatever. Yes. You see that all the time. It makes me angry. Okay. That is a, gr- that's a really good example of not knowing your ideal client. Ooh. Okay. Because you have to be able to have a relationship with the parent, the person who's actually giving you money. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is just as strong as your connection with the, with the child. I, I want to thank you for saying that. I really, I really, I really feel for the teachers out there who are struggling with that parent teacher relationship um, because it, there's huge consequences if if it's if it's if you think that keeping the parents out of your studio and they can only contact you through email and pay you is going to be an asset it's not it's and i'm not saying you have so here's here's why this is interesting is that this this goes to a level of how emotionally intelligent are you to deal with someone that you don't necessarily that you see doesn't understand what you do Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that pairing isn't about like the parent being perfect for you, but it's about you understanding yourself well enough and having scripts that you're ready to bring to a conversation when a parent challenges you on something. And instead of being like, oh, I'm the expert, why, are, why don't they just trust me? Mm. Okay. Well, I know, I know I work with highly driven high schoolers. If there's, it's a high schooler, they're highly driven. Chances are, I don't even ever meet the parent face to face because it's the parent having the kid be like, you're going to call her, you're going to set it up. You're, you know, like want the child to take the, the lead, but it's about me being able to, because the parent has encouraged that relationship. It's me going, Mm -hmm. okay, I understand this kind of parent. I know what this parent wants. This parent wants Mm -hmm. their child to be able to do their own stuff, da, 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 da. But then when they get the bill, they're going to have questions because they didn't, they weren't in the call with me. Right. They don't understand the value. They're going to look at the number and be like, holy cannolis. (laughs) 
It happens every time they get the number and then I get the email from the parent. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, absolutely. This is why I invite every parent to be on a call. I know what you're trying to do here. I love that you want this independence for your child. I'm happy to set up a separate call with you so that you understand exactly where every dollar is going when your child is dealing, being the primary contact. Beautiful. What an amazing teaching opportunity too. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of neither here nor there, but what, can I loop back to something you were saying about cyclical? Mm, Yes. I think, I feel like I should remind, or just tell everyone your ideal client is going to change over time. Yes. Yes. So don't get all hung up in like, oh my gosh, I got to do all this work. And then I'm stuck in that. Like, of course it's going to change because you change. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be the same teacher in a year that you are today. I really hope you're not going to be the same teacher in 5, 10, 15, and 20 years than you are today. Oh, good point. (laughs) If you're using the same resources you were using 10 years ago, like only those resources, not those resources and, um, I am concerned. (laughs) Right? Yes. Not saying that those things aren't always foundational and like kind of our coming, air quotes, coming of age in voice or whatever, but your ideal client is going to change because you are going to change. Right. And you are going to get, like you said, more and more clear on kind of the details and the minutia mm-hmm. of the difference between someone that you serve really well and someone that would be best served by someone else. When we embrace our ideal client, we free, we are, we are doing students a favor mm. because Who are we to say that we can serve everybody when that student is going to have growth, they're going to have transformation, they're going to be able to develop under another person better? Mm. Selfish of me would it be, and how presumptuous of me would it be to say, no, I can serve everybody and do that to the singers of the world? I agree. If people would like to reach out uh, for your services, where can they find you? You can find me on the interwebs at (laughs) www.faithculturekiss.com. And there you'll find information about the Speakeasy Cooperative. Join us. We're doing some very exciting things over the next year. Got some great speakers coming in. Um, Jaquette Timmons is coming next Tuesday. She is a financial behavioralist. Ooh. It's going to be really good. Um, We've got Dr. Wendy Laborn coming. I mean, we've got some great things going on in the Speakeasy Cooperative for both vocal pedagogy and business stuff and money mindset. Um, How to Run Your Voice Biz Without Hating Your Boss is now live as a self-guided course. Ooh, okay. Exciting. Because I get a lot of people fill out the application, but it's not when we're running it. It's like, well, with the live is in six months. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Self-guided. If you're interested in that, um, we can get you the links to that to purchase through voicelessons.com. And then the live program, the first week will be first week of May. Okay. So we're going to okay. do it a little bit earlier in 2021. So people have the rest of summer to kind of get their policies and kind of work through what the, if they're going to launch their new stuff either in September or then in 2022. That's smart. And um, yeah, you can always book a quick and dirty with me too. 
which is on my website, which is like kind of that first moment where we can just talk about what's, what's right for your business. You walk (laughs) away with real action items, goals, plans. And then at the end of that call, we talk about is speakeasy right for you? Maybe it's not, maybe you don't want that and don't need that is some private coaching right for you. Should I pass you off to another one of my colleagues, that kind of thing. So gotcha. Thank you so much again for a wonderful conversation. Really great points for all of us. And you will be back. We are, this is, this is part of a, a mini series. We will see you next time on the podcast for another wonderful business uh, conversation. And thank you so much for joining us, especially on your birthday. Thank you for having me. A very special thank you to all our guests, Alan Henderson, Heather Nelson, and Michelle Marquardt, to vote for their time and their expertise. The podcast and all the fun and funky music is produced by my handsome husband, Sean Trotter. Our office and recording studio is in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario. And Full Voice Music creates fun, fantastic vocal music resources for young singers. Please check out our new single song downloads. They are affordable, convenient, and a fun way to introduce new songs into your studio. We guarantee happy singing and we have exciting new holiday music for your studio as always my heartfelt wish for you stay safe stay well inspired teaching and happy singing made by canoe music productions